Yo, yo, yo. Welcome to WNS9 Plus. I'm your host, Anthony DiNardo. With me, we got Jim, we got Tyler, and we got a special guest for you guys tonight. We got DK from DK Pittsburgh Sports himself. Welcome to the show. Where'd you guys get the money for that intro? That's amazing. Hey, what can I say? We're uh, we're big league. <laughs> big league. That was, that was something. I thought I was expecting like dancers and stuff and fireworks and everything else. That was pretty impressive. Well, firework nights next month. Uh, okay. First fireworks nice joke of 2023. I will say this. <laughs> Donardo, every once in a while, can put together some decent stuff. Don't let it, don't tell him to put together like a TikTok or anything like that because it'll flop stop it. But <laughs> I'm not here for the slander. <laughs> graphics and things like that, he can do that. No, I, I, I was impressed. I was impressed. What's going on, guys? Not much. Spring not training. Lot. Spring's in the air. Spring was in the air down there, that's for sure. I just I just came back. I took a little bit of a break from covering the really, really bad hockey team right now to to go down to Bradenton and uh, I wasn't there long, but man, I, I sure had a lot of conversations and, and a lot of observations within that. And the number one thing that comes across out of that camp right now, more than anything, is a word we haven't used associated with the Pirates for a long time, and that's competition. Um, you can roll your eyes when you hear stuff like that, like, oh, right, because it's between Kanan Smith, Najigba, and Cal Mitchell or whatever. Uh, but it's there, and it's not just at the Pittsburgh level. You know, there's there's different battles for spots that are just below that in AAA. There's players who now have gotten close enough to Pittsburgh but they got to consider switching positions. You know, uh, Matt Gorski's a guy that I spent a lot of time with. I'm sure you guys talk about him a lot. He hits a zillion home runs. He plays a really good center field. You'd hate to move him out of there, but guess what? <laughs> you know, you're not playing center field in Pittsburgh. Jared Triolo, really, really good. Excellent, actually. Defensive third baseman. You ain't doing that in Pittsburgh. You know, so it's it's where you would kind of hope it would be after three years, but you know, maybe it isn't in some people's eyes. I don't know. So you're telling us it's not Cole Tucker versus Kevin Newman. <laughs> I mean, you know what? If they ever had a battle of nice guys, that'd be a battle for the ages. They'd have to have a cage match between the two. These are two of the nicest guys on earth, but no, no. When you're, when you're talking about, you know, even at the shortstop position, uh, you always want all your, your spare infielders to be able to play short. Troy, Triolo has done some of that. Uh, Marcano has done some of that. You know, you see Castro has done some of that. So there's a lot of interchangeable pieces that are younger, and and even that's not going to end up being the most, like, competitive part of any of this. It's the pitching. It's the starting pitching especially. It's amazing to you guys, like how nobody in Pittsburgh seems to realize what's about to happen with this starting pitching. 
or do you not realize it? <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, yes and no. And I, I'll say like some of we've talked about, that's the one thing that I think has been was, I guess a couple things, but like this year, that's the one thing that really stood out to me is like you said about competition, like the Vince Velasquez thing. If, if anything, you know, I don't know how well he's going to be. We've heard some people talking that, you know, there's something that the Pirates see in him and maybe he can actually turn around and be somewhat decent. But, like, at the very least, if he can represent just some actual competition for someone to strive to try to beat him out or for him to stay in there, like, that's what I do like about this year's club. Is there's, you know, they're not on the cusp of, like, the playoffs, but they're, they're able to compete and play actual baseball, if that makes sense. You know, like, all of them, not the Josh Bameters that are there, but there's actual competitive people. So it's the fact that like you're saying like all that there, that's what I like. So if like Vince Velasquez at least can present somebody there for others to try to beat out, that's good enough for me. Yeah. Who, but, who uh, you, who's your rotation? Who's your opening day rotation? Who do I want it to be? Who's it going to be? Who's it going to be? <laughs> I think it's well, going to be Keller, Contreras, Hill, Brubaker, and Velasquez. That's it. Yeah. That's it. I mean, that's that's it right there. I think, uh, you know, and you want Velasquez to perform, but most likely he's probably the the first guy out. You know, if Quinn Priester or Mike Burroughs makes a push or, you know, Luis Ortiz, Johan Oviedo maybe gets an opportunity. I would love to see Oviedo at least break, you know, the roster. Oh, he will. You mean come north? Yeah. He's, he's coming north. Yeah. I, I, I was, that's something that I heard down there. I think you're going to see – Mm-hmm. Oviedo, because the Cardinals were using him in relief, as you know, around the time of the trade, um, can do that. You know, he can he can pitch out of the pen. He can pitch long. He, they can go with six starters through an April schedule, too. They can also use him in that role. Um, I, I used to call this – I'm kind of dating myself now, but I used to call that the Dave Williams role in the Pirates. That goes back to, like, 15 years ago. You know, that's the second Dave Williams no way. we've had in, like, three podcasts. Wow. Okay, well, Dave Williams was that guy. He's a lefty who could come in and throw every fifth or sixth day if Lloyd needed him. But if you look at where where the rest of this rotation is, though, that's where it gets interesting. Those other names that you mentioned, like all three of them, Priester, Burroughs, Ortiz – when they get up here, it's a completely different discussion, okay, because they're not going to come up and go to the pen, okay, and they're right. going to come up. So a couple of things will have to happen. One, Rich Hill will be even older, and he doesn't last entire seasons, right? Right, so, right. Okay, so. It's been a while. So let's presume that all of a sudden Rich Hill doesn't go 32-star at Ironman, and he's, he's going to be, you know, either shelved or hurt or something, right? From there, you're, you know, you're you're having Brubaker fight to stay in the rotation. You're having Velasquez fight to stay in the rotation. So the competition's a little bit delayed. You know, it comes out into June, or I think I don't think you can see Ortiz until July because of all that Super Two stuff. But once they get up here, it's just a t- everything's going to be different because you can hide every wart a baseball team has with starting pitching. You know, it, it, it just, it masks everything. So I, I think I'm, kind of, yeah, go ahead, I think I'm kind of at the point where I think along with DK that they will go with the six man rotation through April. And I, I've kind of been leaning this way now because I don't think they want to have to stretch Oviedo back out if need be. I think it's the smartest thing to do is to go with that six man, keep him stretched out through April. And then, like you said, if Rich Hill does go down, someone else goes down, you already have that guy there. And we're already on board that I think we all think he's going to be a high, 
level reliever. But you got to see what you have with them in the rotation. Well, a- April's rough. Do you look at it? I mean, they, they start out in Cincinnati and then they go straight to Boston. Uh, but then there's like, like a gazillion days without a day off. There's trips to four games set in St. Louis, three in Denver right after that. Then they play the Dodgers. They play the Astros at home. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay. It's, it's not going to be any kind of picnic. And I, I think as a result, you're going to want to have as much pitching available to you as possible. Maybe that's six starters. Maybe that's shorter starts. I don't know. What about piggyback? Do you hear anything about piggybacking? Two off days in April, by the way. That's kind no. of nuts. Because if we start talking about piggybacking, I'm going to have to mention Montana Durapau, and you're going to tell me that, oh, somebody <laughs> else on the show brought up Montana Durapau this week. Actually, no. You know, we haven't there. talked about him in a while. But, uh, <laughs> this is a uh, Miguel Del Tozen show. Hey, 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 hey. I thought you said no swearing on his show. <laughs> Didn't you say that? <laughs> no, you said that. Oh, yeah, I did, didn't <laughs> I? Yeah. Um, no, I'm, I'm with you. I'm actually kind of surprised. I, I just looked at the April schedule, only two off days, which is brutal. not normal for an April schedule. Cause usually you would have an off day after an opening day and then you're having an off day after a home opener. And yeah, there's well, none of that. Well, day. they do have an off day after opening day in Cincinnati. Uh, yes. Don't forget that's a March. And then, and then there's a free day in Cincinnati on that Friday. Um, but only yeah, there's only April 6th, and then there's just a ton of baseball. And, again, it's against teams that can hit, that can wear you down. And I, I, it's going to be a big, big challenge uh, for not only for the pitching staff itself, but also for Oscar Marine, for Derek Shelton, and everybody to manage it. Well, we saw that last year, too, that I think a big reason why the pitching staff in particular broke down, and, and namely – Will Crow, Bednar, you know, those guys is because in April and May starters failed to to go deep into games. They were only going three innings. So you had you had the bullpen carrying a lot of the load early on in the season and they just couldn't keep up. That's exactly what happened. It's exactly what happened. And, and to their credit, it's something that they're trying to avoid this year. So whether it's a true piggyback or not, if you have a Johan Oviedo out there in your pen, um, you've got somebody that you know you can bring in and give you some length. That's that's a good thing. Yeah. Now you do make a good point, and that's something I talked about last year as well. Like what this year represents, and it, it's not a knock on this guy because I actually do really like him. I think he gets a lot more hate than he deserves and such. But like with Brubaker, like I, I felt like to be honest, if he is in your rotation by the end of this upcoming year, that's probably not a good sign. It means something else went wrong, probably. That's kind of what I was putting at. And like I said, it's, it's not a knock-in. Like, I think he, he's a very serviceable number five starter for a lot of – like in this league, he, he's number five starter. Oh, for anybody. But it's just like you're saying, with the depth right now, the talent that's coming up, I mean, you're going to give them every opportunity to pitch, right? So it's like if he really is in the rotation by the end of the season, that's probably not a good thing. So I hate to say that because like he has a phenomenal year and it's like, well, then now, you know, like you deserve to be there. But yeah, it, th- <laughs> I think that that's something you just said now, something I hadn't really thought of. But one of the things that you have to think about, uh, particularly if you're Ben Charrington more than anybody else, is that when you bring a Quinn Priester up, when you bring a Luis Ortiz up, um, and I would probably say the same thing about Mike Burroughs because I know how highly they regard him. Um, you better be right. They better be ready. And they're not going to the pen. I said that earlier, okay? But they need to get into the rotation. They need to have their innings managed and all that other stuff, especially the, what we saw. You guys saw how they handled Rowanzi Contreras last summer. It looked kind of crappy, 
like on its surface when they when they said what they were going to do because you know why they were really doing it but then it ended up kind of making sense when you looked at his overall inning counts so uh, when these kids come up they're not taking any back seat you know they're they're gonna pitch i guess talking about the bullpen where you know you, you said those guys aren't going to bullpen Mike Burroughs has always been a guy who I've thought has bullpen potential just because of the lack of pitches that he possesses. Now he comes into spring training with a new pitch. So I guess what's the chatter like about Mike Burroughs now? Has his ceiling, has his floor maybe raised because of this added pitch? Um, when they when they talk about Burroughs, and I'm thinking specifically of a, of a conversation that I had with Justin Message, the bullpen coach. When they talk about Burroughs, they do this. Watch my hand. Like that. Um, they see heavy sink. Another baseball term there, okay? Um, I used to hear that term a lot. Here comes a second dating reference. But with Jimmy Anderson was with the Pirates. Now, we're talking about 20 years ago. Uh, big lefty, emphasis on big. Yeah. We, we don't want Burroughs to turn into Jimmy Anderson, though. Well, <laughs> there were times, though. Here's the, 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 Jimmy's an easy target for a lot of reasons. Uh, he had a really unflattering picture taken of him once in spring training, and it went completely – in what qualified as viral in the early 2000s, he yeah. went totally viral. But when he was on – he was absolutely dominant. He could throw nine innings of shutout ball without even breaking a sweat because the sink was just and, – and he – and you heard this about sinkers too. When they get tired, the sink is even heavier. I still don't know what the hell that means. Okay, I've, that one's never made sense to me. But you hear it so much that you just go, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Sure, it does. Uh, that's what Burroughs has, and he has the best one of anybody in the system. So I don't know that they care all that much what else he's got. It's nice. It's good to have augmentation. Um, but when you think of sinkers, though, you don't think really of relievers, though, do you? I mean, you're thinking of ground balls. Now, you can have a ground ball reliever. Those are nice. Bring them in, especially when you need a double play, clean up the bases. But, uh, no, I've never heard anything about Burroughs and, and, and pitching out of the pen. Yeah, I think that just kind of goes back to the high velocity and the curveball. Aside from that, He's if he's not a starter, it's really gonna suck. It's the same boat as Ortiz, really. A two pitch guy that I think we're getting to the point where the no two pitch cares. guy can start. Yeah, no one cares what Ortiz's third pitch is. Nope. I mean, you guys saw it, you know. Uh, I have a feeling he's gonna be that guy who goes down to. I was telling Alex, Alex Stone, our beat writer, when we were down in Bradenton earlier this week, I said, I said, get ready for two, three months of hearing nothing but Luis Ortiz complaints from the fans because he's going to be the guy every time somebody stinks in Pittsburgh, you're Ortiz up here, you cheapskates. Da, 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 da. He's going to be that guy. He's going to be like what Contreras was a couple of years ago. And he's going to be the, and he's going to be that guy for me. <laughs> but, <laughs> there's going to be a couple of them, yeah. Yeah, there'll be but a few. going back to your your five, oh, feel free I to, want feel starting free five. To, it, feel free to come I back. I want Luis Ortiz to be there. Come back to Andy anytime you want. That's a favorite yeah. subject of mine. Oh, we will. Yeah. But, yeah, Ortiz is the guy. Ortiz just – the other thing about Ortiz, looking at him the other day, just so big. And as much as baseball has changed over the past century and a half, the one thing that hasn't is if you have a, a, a 
big, sturdy type build, you have a possibility to be for whatever passes for a horse in 2023. Okay. The, the Pedro Martinez's and the Tim Lincecum's are always the outlier. Okay. It's the big stocky dudes that look like they can go out there and do it all day long. And that's what Ortiz Ortiz has to him. Um, he looks like he could eat 200 innings in his sleep. He looks like he could eat yeah. a lot and still <laughs> manage to carry it well. Does that make sense? You guys, yeah. normally these yeah. kind of conversations you have the week before the NFL scouting combine and everything is discussed as if it's a meat market. But in Ortiz's case, he, he just looks like he can carry the weight. He's not like fat or anything. I'm not being weird here. Okay, but he's just a really, really big dude. And everything about him, the fact that they were able to, we, we talk about the Pirates' development process in all kinds of different tones. How can you tell the difference between good amateur acquisition and development? It's someone like Ortiz because he comes in. Nobody really thought much about Ortiz, right? Did you guys, anybody, you heard anybody have him even in the Pirates' top 25 prospects a year ago? No, no. no. Now he's looking like a like like he's going to be Luis Tiant or something. Oh my God, I'm really dating myself now, huh? Um, he he can bring it, and that's to the credit of, of the the Pirates development people, the the staff in Altoona more than anybody that brought out that velocity. They knew he was throwing hundred down there, and yet still when he came to Pittsburgh, like all of us, I'm sure everybody that's on this panel right now was looking at him and going, what "The hell is this? How did we not hear about this guy?" You know, I mean, it was the velocity with the mm-hmm. movement, oh. and the slider. It was unfair. It was impressive. Yeah, yeah. which it was, and it was amazing. I mean, he started four games. He pitched 16 innings last year in the majors, and yeah, he went from really not being talked about at all to showing up in the top 100 prospect lists like that. Um, and yeah, I mean, to go along your point, he threw 140 innings last year. So Luis Ortiz has no innings constraints this season. No, but I think, you know, you're going to see them. First of all, he's going back to Indy. Okay. I, anybody, he, he can, he can strike out every person he faces in Bradenton and he's going to Indy. Um, that, that one is set in stone. Uh, every bit as much as Henry Davis and Andy Rodriguez are. Um, but he's going to have to be managed a certain way, A, from their perspective for the Super Two and everything else. Let's not pretend otherwise. And, and, and B, because they're going to want to make sure that he's as rounded as possible by the time he gets there. I think it was just a really great signing by Neil Huntington to go out and find Luis Ortiz, right, DK? Is that what happened? <laughs> no, I'm being serious. I mean, Huntington, he was signed under Huntington. Okay, yeah, but Huntington had nothing to do with that process, <laughs> good or bad. Um, he signed under him. Yeah, let me see what year it was signed. 2018. Would that have been under Renee, or was that before or after the stuff happened with Renee Gallo? I think Renee was before that. Um, no, God, yeah, I still hear from him all the time, and anytime somebody comes up from the like the miners, who's one of his guys, he has this like running total. Yeah, I did this, I did this, whatever. But I can tell Neil Huntington didn't have anything to do with the uh, the minor the, the the Latin American system. I mean, nothing zero other than saying how much money there was to spend uh, i went with renee gallo on uh, the sandlot tours in the dominican he had a checkbook that he kept in his left pocket and when he saw somebody he liked he'd pull it out just 
$25,000. Care of Pittsburgh Pirates. Kid was signed. Just like that. Uh, he wasn't calling Neil. He wasn't calling Kyle or anything like that. Now, on the bigger ones, like I went down to, it was uh, the western side of Mexico on another trip that he took to, to chase after Luis Radio, who I think's out of baseball now. Yeah, I don't, if he is, it's he might be in the Mexican League or something. Big pitcher who had like legitimately six pitches. He was six six, something like that. Looked like had, he also had a really crazy mom, who might have just screwed up everything for 240 him. Two hundred forty pounds at sixteen years old. Oh, he's just gigantic, but a he little bit, a little bit awkward. But the the mom was whoa, man. <laughs> this was this was going to be a difficult, challenging childhood for this kid. But anyway, the. When you reach that point, when you're getting into six, seven figures, you contact the GM. And what ends up happening, what, what Neil would do is he would send down, like uh, Greg Smith, the previous scouting director, whatever. Greg Smith was the one who came down to see Heredia. Uh, Greg Smith was the one who came down to see uh, Miguel Sano, not to open up another can of worms here. Okay, but those that was, that was how that worked. So just like you don't give Dave Littlefield credit for – Starling Marte, he didn't even know Marte's name. You know, it's that's starting to change under Charrington. Charrington has a much uh, a tighter grip on the international signings, which is now what they call them. They don't call them Latin American signings because Junior Vizcaino, who's the international scouting director, is just as likely to fly over to Korea or to Germany or to Italy as he is to the Dominican. Well, not just as likely. He spends a lot of time in the Dominican. Uh, in Venezuela and so forth, but that's a little bit tighter now than it was then. Was that a was that like supposed to be like a Neil thing from you or what? No, I just <laughs> just a little opportunity to mention uh, someone that was signed under Neil Huntington. I can, you know what? I um actually on on um, my Daily Shot podcast this week, I went out of my way to give Huntington and Stark both credit for the approach that they took in trading Tony Watson for O'Neill Cruz. I don't think they get enough credit for that one. The problem with it is that's exactly the kind of trade those guys should have been making for 12 straight years. In other words, not just veteran for prospect. That's easy. That's lazy. But don't send Garrett Cole out for Colin Moran. Okay. Don't send somebody for just because it's safe. You know he's going to be okay. You know, Colin Rand, he, he's not going to embarrass you. Well, you know what? He didn't embarrass you. He was here. He's a nice guy, nice player, quiet, whatever. He hit X number of home runs, and now he's who knows where. I don't even know where he is. Now. Cincinnati? He was so he's by them, but anymore. Is he still but, in their minors? I don't know. But, I'm not sure. But the moves that you make, and this was the thing that I liked the most about Ben on the day that he was hired, Ben Sherrington, was he said, we're going to try to acquire high end. Meaning high, not high end in terms of like quality or polish, but high, I shouldn't say high end, high ceiling. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's Cruz. Cruz is either a 500 foot homer or the worst strikeout you've ever had as a general manager. You have no idea. Is he going to grow into that gangly body of his? Is he going to solidify? What happens if he gets discouraged? What if he can't play anywhere in the field? What if he's like Polanco in at Wrigley Field? You know, the, Taking <laughs> the ball. Yeah. Um, it's a big risk. It was a big risk that Neil took. Tony Watson was a pretty nice asset at the time. That's yeah. what they, they, they'd still be working here. But they didn't do that. Yeah. We've definitely talked about that too. I mean, you, you definitely see a difference. Like you said, it was more 
MLB ready, safe guys, where Ben's kind of taking the approach of, like you said, like the high ceilings and usually lo- lower minors as well. You know, they're, they're kind of far off, which, um, see, I don't know if we've act- I think we've kind of strayed away from but... that every now and then, though. I think we've seen a lot early on. I feel like we saw a lot of those high ceiling type of trades, but I do think he has shown some that have strayed away from that and gone more safe, like the Josh Bell trade. I guess you could say Eddie Yeen is a little more high ceiling that just never panned out. That's just a bad trade. There's, yeah, nothing, that one, there's nothing to analyze there. That's just crap. But yeah. I think we have seen quite a few that have been maybe what we would consider safe. JB and I think here, by the way, JB would have signed long term here. Even with Boris as his agent, he genuinely loved it here. I got to know him as well as anybody on that team. And then maybe you wouldn't be spending ten million a year on two first basemen that are going to split time. Yeah, first base. I mean, JB would have solved first base for a very long time. He would have he would have had his slumps. He would have driven you nuts and everything else here. But and and he would have never thrown the ball straight to second base. He just couldn't do it. Okay. <laughs> Odell Cruz might have killed him as well. Oh Although Cruz God. had a better chance of catching. Cruz might have got it though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but JB uh, JB would have been a good soldier here for a long time um, if if things had gone the way he wanted. Um, that's he also why just. The he other, just traded him at the bad at the wrong time. Like they traded him right so off of his worst season that he's ever going to put up in his entire career, and yeah, it, I wasn't a big fan of that trade. This is why I brought up with Matt Gorski the other day, because um, Gorski is a center fielder by trade. Now, when you see him, he's he's built like David Bednar, okay, which does not lead you to think. You don't look at him and go, oh, yeah, center fielder. You know, um, we play this game in Latrobe covering the Steelers where if you just see somebody and you don't recognize them, you have to try to guess what position they play just based on their on their, on their body build. You can't do this in baseball, by the way. It's like, except for catchers. Okay. And even then, Andy Rodriguez looks like he should be a shortstop. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but yeah, this guy, he's, 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 he's got a wide, strong build. I think he's 6'2", 210 or something like that. You don't think of him as a center fielder. He's really good out there. But I asked him, I said, you know, how comfortable would you be at first base? Because I said, you know, that's that's your cheat code to get to Pittsburgh. Okay? And he goes, yeah, I know. I'll do whatever work it is that I have to. Really great kid, by the way. You're going to love him. Um, I'll do whatever it is that I have to do. But he also knows, and I'm sure he's right, that it's, it's his bat that's going to play. His bat's going to get him here. He can hit. He can really hit. Yeah, I mean, he was I, – I guess we were all a little surprised that he was left off of the 40-man, and then no one took him in the Rule 5 draft. Were so, we, though? <laughs> but no one took him, though. Like, he was he was one of those guys everybody kind of had pegged. Matt Gorsi's going to be drafted, right? He has and, something that – I heard this down there. He has something – not from him, obviously. That he has something with his – his lower body as he's going through on the swing, not to get super specific and bore the hell out of your audience or whatever, but he has something wrong with the lower portion of his, of his body when he follows through the swing that I'm not sure they feel they can correct. And once you're 25 years old, you know, you're not as malleable at that age. When There's he also, also looks at the strikeout yeah. numbers, yeah. like the strikeout numbers, 24 year old in double a striking out 30% of the time. It's just, it's Look historically, and that's not a – that's a pretty big red flag for you're not – Although I think he cut down – I could be wrong about this, but I think he cut down as the season went along. 
it may have started off higher, but yeah, it yeah. ended at 29.6%. Well, you know, one way or another, AAA is the separator. Because you go there and all of a sudden you're not facing children anymore. There's veterans in, you know, there's veterans there. Kenny says we don't bore easy. We're NS9 fans. That sounds <laughs> like an endorsement, gentlemen. <laughs> That's why they keep me around. They've got a they've got a really high boredom threshold. Nobody's gonna it. bring up Andy, are they? We'll get to Oh, we'll get to Oh, trust me. There's a lot to bring yeah, up. It's the tease to make sure that Kenny stays aboard the whole time. That's right. <laughs> yeah. No, we, we'll we got to keep talking Matt Gorski over Andy. Um, no, I mean, I guess if you want to talk to about Andy, we can go right into Andy. Um, you know, I I think uh, I'm I'm super high on Andy. I think he could be like the next Dalton Varsho type guy. I think he could be the Pirates version of Dalton Varsho. Um, I think he should be the opening day catcher. That's not going to happen, but um, yeah, I guess uh, what you you were down there for a couple of days. Give us some uh, some Andy some Andy talk. Well, see, I only bring up Andy because of something that happened in last spring training. He has this beautiful collection of new bats that were brought in into the locker room, and the monogramming on these things. I'm sorry, if I was a baseball player, I'd never be able to swing one of these things. I'd never let it get dirty. They're just gorgeous. This black glossy bat with his gold, you know, Andy Rodriguez. You'd never know. He was like a, he was like an A ball guy at the time, right? And he starts, and I, he sees me looking at these bats, and he picks one up, and he's just looking at it like it's you know his, you know his mate or something, right? And he's like saying something in Spanish. I don't know what, but I presume it was poetry about the bat. And at one point, you know, I, I just say, you know, Andy, what's going on? Like, you know, what's you know, what's in that bat right now? He goes, oh, too much Homer. <laughs> and I go, never give a line like that to a reporter because I'm going to stick you with that for the rest of your career. You're going to be the too much Homer guy. And I saw him the other morning, and he, you know, we made eye contact, and he's walking by, and he looks at me, and he goes, too much Homer. I told you. <laughs> I told you. <laughs> and now – I I thought it was a cool interview at the time. I didn't think he would actually vault up Baseball America's prospect list to number one. But I also know something about that process and how it came about. And talking to Tim Williams, who's a friend of mine, he's the, he's there. I used to do that gig for, for BA years ago, and he does that now for them. Uh, I know how he arrived at that. And I, I have faith in him. I think he's right. And I think MLB pipeline and other rankings are not right when they don't have him as high. Because you know why they don't have him as high? Because well, we don't like to look like we're too wrong. You know, we're just going to move up, up a little bit. This is what happened with Ortiz. Okay. Yeah. Well, you mean, wait, you didn't know he was throwing triple digits in Altoona? Just say that. You know, it's okay. It's okay to be wrong. I'm wrong every bleeping day there's nothing wrong with it just as long as you say it people are okay with it you know yeah jim's never wrong though just so you understand oh okay well no i'm very open-minded i just i'm not wrong hell you are (laughs) (laughs) so we'll we'll see your rankings that had luis rodriguez in the top 10 last year right no andy uh, i heard something else that i can share with you um this wasn't in Bradenton just now, but this was in uh, Milwaukee late last season. I ran into an American League scout that I trust a lot. Actually, known him for a lot of years, and, and he knew his dad too. And he had just spent 
his time, they, they go in loops, scouts do. Like they work through a division, okay? And they go through a team's entire system when they do that because they want to get the sense for what the team's got, the organization's got all the way up the ladder. They scout them as if it's their own system. It's crazy. And it's the old schoolest of old school things. He said that once, how did he put this? Once they stopped screwing around with Endy, referring to the Pirates' current management, uh, and just left him behind the plate. And the numbers will bear this out, by the way. The data will bear this out. Endy took off. That doesn't mean that he absolutely is going to you know, go driving off a cliff if he's not a catcher. But it does mean he found a home, he found a position that he could take control of, and he needs that. But once he had that set in his mind, then it was like, all right, you know, let's let's just swing the bat here. And he did. He took total control of all situations. And that's that's big league material right there. Right. And also to touch on Indy, as Pirates fans, I don't think we've seen a prospect tear up the minors like he has. Probably Pre McCutcheon, I don't remember the last one that's done what he has done in the minors. Uh, I mean, Steve Pierce had quite the minor league run, but even then, you there's that was right in that same time range, though. Um, you know, there are other guys that are you know the classic 4A guys too that you know have big numbers down there. Um, but he has just hit at every level, he has he has done that, and at the same time, I know you guys want him to start, and, and it's not happening. I mean, when the manager said it publicly, he didn't even wait till Bradenton. He did it in San Diego at the winter meetings just to make sure that nobody was showing up with any false pretenses. Um, there, you know, here's another thing, though. I don't, I'm, I'm the last one to take the Pirates' side on, the, on keeping prospects in the minors too long, especially when it comes to offense. But this general manager, and I know you guys have seen this pattern, really values the defensive component to catching. In fact, he values it to a grotesque fault because he, he'll bring in these guys with these 163 batting averages, and he just does not care if they can hit to save their lives. He wants, he wants them doing the stuff that Austin Hedges is doing right now uh, in Bradenton. Hedges is all over the pitchers. But he's taken over the same way Jacob did, uh, Jacob Stallings, uh, and the same way early on last season Roberto Perez did. Um, and they need that. They need, especially when you're talking about, like we were earlier, when you bring up your Priester and your uh, Burroughs and your Ortiz, you want to make sure there's somebody back there who knows how to get major league hitters out. There is a difference. you know. Don't forget, it's still the catcher calling the game. It's yep. still the catcher reading the swings. Uh, they have this this guy. Oh, Christ, I'm always forgetting his name. The the guy who sits in the dugout now doing the game calling. Come on, you guys would know this. He's like the game planner or something. Somebody somebody who's watching this just t- – Like not a uniformed guy, but – He is. Like Kenny. Not, no, <laughs> Get on it. Kenny, let's go, man. Yeah, come on, Kenny. Put it up on the screen. <laughs> But anyway, whoever he is, oh, Radley Haddad is his name. Oh, yeah, yeah. I remembered it. Okay. Now from Tampa, right? He builds a yes. He builds a plan so that the catcher doesn't have to sweat it. The pregame plan, and so the pitching coach only comes in pair. There's Dave coming through. See, so beat you, Dave. Uh, 
but the, he's it's still up to the catcher. The catcher is the one that still has to feel that the hitter, you know, did a check swing or something, and he just wasn't feeling that pitch at all. I want another one of those. You know, just give me that pitch again down here. And the pitch, the pitchers have to respect that catcher enough to not go. But I'd rather throw my change up right now. You know, you need a catcher back there who's got the stones to say to the pitcher, just you, you do your job, I'll do mine. And you got to see more, I think, to some extent from Andy, from Henry, before they can come up and be it, it, in that category. Does that make sense or does it sound like I'm making excuses for them? No, it, it makes a lot of sense. And honestly, like, I, I would prefer someone with a better bat. But I think what this team, and not even the team itself, but what Andy and Davis eventually are needing is, is a, a solid mentor. And we've been talking about this for years. Like, there's no actual, like, really good veterans on this club. And finally this year, it's like they finally did that. You know, I mean, there's been some here and there, right? Like, again, you want to go back to Q last year. Of course, he was a guy that a lot of pitchers could look to or whatever. But there's very far and few in between. And, like, this year they filled this clubhouse with some solid veterans that these people can actually learn from, him being one of them. So, like, I do appreciate what he does bring to this rebuilding club. Um, but maybe not the actual worst hitter in baseball. <laughs> yeah. Well, in fairness, last year's team, I, I'd feel I'd feel a little guilty if I didn't throw them a bone here in this on this category because Daniel Vogelback was a, kind of like a everybody came to Vogie for advice. And when you're going to the guy who sees the most pitches per plate appearance in the major leagues, you can kind of explain why they watched a lot of strikes go by, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> which they really did, which drive you nuts. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd also throw one in for Ben Gamble because although he was crazy beyond my ability to describe cleanly on this program, uh, he also was that out in the field. And you never had to wonder whether or not Ben Gamble was interested in winning that day's game, um, even if just only on his Wrigley Field performances alone. You know, he, he ate gravel. He ate bricks. Uh, he got the job done. So they had a couple uh, but I agree with you that what they've brought in between Carlos Santana, G-Man Choi, both of whom come with, like, real leadership traits, okay? And, you know, you mentioned uh, – well, no, you mentioned Q, but th- this year's Q would theoretically be Rich Hill. But there's another way of thinking about this, too. I actually I was talking to Mitch Keller about something similar. This was either Monday or Tuesday, I don't remember. And uh, Monday. And – because Mitch is now, you know, he's a guy. He, he's not the baby-faced rookie, look around, gosh, wow, where's my consistency? Why do all the bloggers keep comparing me to Kip Wells guy? <laughs> you follow me? Mm-hmm. I mean, Mitch, Mitch got good because Mitch pitched. Not because he went to some North Carolina, whatever that thing was, that facility where they taught him to throw, you know, 900 miles an hour, that didn't help him at all, remember? In right. April? Tread athletics. Well, when did he actually get good? It was in May. And why? He went to clay. He started venting <laughs> pitches, like, out of thin air. Who ever heard of such a thing in the middle of a major league season? But he found just enough stuff to add to his arsenal that, like, oh, the sinker didn't work in this game. I'm going to try something else in the next game. And it kept working, and he grew up. It's just, that's the term I always use with him. I said, I just said, you grew up. You grew up right in front of our eyes in 2022. Well, now some of that's going to be on him. 
You know, they're going to come up. These kids are going to come up and they're going to be looking up to Mitch Keller. You know, and so, so some of these guys that we've like Reynolds is another one. Reynolds is not your your leader type. I, I love the dude. He's not he's not that he's not going to be the one. And you know who else isn't is Kutch. Uh, everyone loves Kutch. There's no way to not love Kutch. Kutch has never been that guy who stands in the middle of the room and yells or any of that kind of thing. Uh, even on those really, really good teams, the one great team the Pirates had in 2015, that was all, that was Russ, that was AJ. I don't need last names on this show, right? No. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm used to having to do this like formally, right? Uh, that was Russ, that was AJ. A lot of it was Grilly, who I couldn't stand, but was really, really good. <laughs> okay, just, just not. Before, before you started advise, well, just comparing yourself to Jesus Christ. Um, Neil Walker was a big part of that, way the, more than people think. It's like they say, oh, Pittsburgh kid, feel-good story. Neil Walker was a big part of that. Travis Snyder, name a lot of people have already forgotten. Was it, They had them all over the room, you know, and you need some um, – you said you could swear on this show. You need some – and this isn't even really a swear word, but you, you need badasses. You need, you need some – even a couple of bad seeds – Okay, once you start getting good, you need a couple of attitudes mm. in there that, that are that are that aren't afraid. This team in 2022 was as pathetically passive as any team I've covered in any sport in an entire life of covering Pittsburgh sports. You walk into that room afterward, you wouldn't even know that they participated in a game. Okay? And that applies to everybody. That includes Reynolds and Kibrian Hayes and everybody else. That was not a leadership room. So I give Charrington a lot of credit. Hmm? I think I think it includes the manager. Oh too. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> no, it wasn't coming from him. You know, uh, I love to tell this story. But in 2006, uh, I once asked Lloyd McClendon, "Where's it? Where's your? Uh, where's your leadership going to come from?" Referring to the clubhouse. This was a game in Cincinnati, and the office is well off from where the clubhouse is. And he said, did you just point over there? And I said, I did. He goes, leadership's coming from right here. And I was like, okay. <laughs> yes, you're looking at the leader of this team. So and that's not what you have right now in Pittsburgh, is it? So that kind of brings me back to one of your old articles. That's baseball, man. With you talking to John Russell about Zach Duke not hitting, I can't remember, a Dodger? It was a Dodger. It was in, it was in Dodger Stadium. So – Bringing that full circle here, do you see anything like that out of Derek Shelton? Like what you saw with John Russell? Well, and he was a robot for, to the extreme. For the 99.999% of your audience who has no idea what you're well, talking about, I'll give it a little bit of a, a, a little bit of a background here. Zach Dude didn't want to throw at the Dodgers. One of them had just thrown at Kutch, okay, and got him. And Kutch had been getting it a lot. And Kutch was getting really sick of it. You saw him. It was when, when he had his episodes with Dusty Baker in Cincinnati and so forth. Kutch was getting real tired of it. Duke needed to throw. The pitcher came up. The pitcher came up. You have you know the baseball unwritten rules, right? The pit, you got one crack. That's the unwritten rule. If you don't throw at him, then you've lost your whatever. Duke throws. Three straight pitches, nowhere near, just like right down the – and this pitcher knew he was getting it. He knew he was going to wear one. He was standing like this away from the plate. Okay, the old Craig Council stance, okay? 
and nothing happens. And you can just look in the Pirates dugout and see like this. Okay, the players, everybody. Uh, John Russell was, I, I know what his reputation was, you know, for stoic and all that other stuff. He was on fire. Yeah, well, yeah, I'm looking at the comment here. <laughs> Trust me, he was. So we go into the, we go downstairs to the locker room afterward. This is actually way more interesting. Anyways, we go to the locker room and uh, we go into the manager's office and somebody, it wasn't me, somebody else asks JR about, you know, uh, you know the game, whatever they ended up losing. And uh, I asked JR something about, uh, you know, you know, did you, did you want to see your, your team? I didn't pick Duke by name. Did you want to see your team stick up for Kutch? And he looks at me and he goes, we did like this. So reporters clear out of the room and he makes eye contact with me. Russell does and goes, close the door. None of this I can print, right? I was at the Post Gazette at the time. You can't print any of this, okay? But it's freaking fabulous, right? This guy and we, we, you think, you really think, you're asking me this, you really think that I wasn't going to be the one who, whatever. Okay, so this goes on for a while, okay? But ultimately, I, have to, I still have to do my job. I got to get out. I got to get out in this locker room and wait for Duke. So Duke comes to his stall. Players are still places dead silent, right? They're rolling up the tape off of their ankles or whatever it is, and they're slamming it like this into the garbage can in the middle of the room, right as Duke's walking by, okay? And he sits down, and and I go, uh, again, I go first. This, that's kind of, a, if you guys follow my career, I don't really pull punches and stuff and questions. And because nothing can happen to you, it's not courageous. It's just asking sports questions, right? So I asked, so I asked Duke, I go, uh, you know, did you, did you feel like you could have taken care of, you could have taken care of Kutch there? You don't want to ask a guy if he wanted to hit somebody. That's, you're not going to get an answer. Okay. But you can ask it that way. And he's like this. I let my team down today. And it was like so cryptic. This is just, it's just a baseball game, right? But I'll never forget it, the reaction in there. And that was the result. Again, say what you want about JR, but that's the culture. That was the old school culture. And JR was very much that guy. Do you think that you're ever going to get that out of Derek Shelton? I have heard from people that behind the scenes, he can, he'll blister you. He can do that. I've never seen it with my own eyes. I've never heard it with my own ears. Um, the next closed door slam the table to the ground or the Jim Leland throwing food episode or whatever will be the first. I've gotten to know Shelty quite well off the field um, in his family. I don't know that he has that in him, but I'll tell you what, if I ask all three of you guys, all three of you to name one instance in 2022 when you said, oh, that guy can actually be a big league manager. What would it have been? <laughs> hint, hint. Would have had to stay up really late. Same stadium that I was just describing. Not the three inning alley from from Bednar. That one. Yeah. Well, he got tossed. That was the only game he got tossed. Oh. I think that's the only ejection of his career. He let Bednar go for fifty pitches, and. 
Bednar, I mean, I've heard from people who are close to Bednar that they weren't all that crazy about that because it's not exactly protecting the reliever. But I wasn't in that setting. In that setting, you are the manager of the people who are in front of you. And those players, for whatever reason, felt what was happening at Dodger Stadium was a big deal to them. They were about to take down the $277 million Dodgers. They were out playing the F out of the Dodgers. Pitching, hitting, and catching the ball. That was actually what uh, – what's his name? L.A.'s manager. Um, Roberts. Dave Roberts. Dave Roberts. Dave Roberts said after the series, he's no shame there. Don't look at the standings. They outplayed us like crazy. They, they were better than us at everything. And they were. And they wanted that. They wanted that. If you're the manager and then Bednar's standing there and he wants the ball, uh, you give it to him. You give it to him. That was as close as they came to something, and he did. But then later in the year, Reynolds gets tossed. Remember that? And mm, Shelton yeah. never comes out of the dugout. And I went berserk over that one. You know, because that's your best player, man. At some point or other, you got to flip the switch, get over this development stuff, and start managing the game that's right in front of you. You know what I mean? No, we know exactly what you mean. Like, that's pretty much what we're getting at. You know, that, that's one thing we, we don't really see from him is, like you're saying, like standing up for your players. It just doesn't seem like he he doesn't. Now, he seems like he's a great clubhouse manager. Like, he relates well to the players. Like, he's that guy. And I know we've talked about this before. Like, even going to the hurdle days, you know, you can – I mean, let's go back to the, the Cubs and well, Guardians, Indians, then World Series. You know, Francono outmanaged the hell of that series. But it's like, I, I feel like in the duration of a whole season, like the player's manager is probably more beneficial. And I feel like Shelton has more of those characteristics to him. But why don't you stand up for them? <laughs> you well, know? Like, why are you out there fighting he, for them? Here's, here's the thing, though. Okay. You guys all have jobs, right? You have somebody you answer to. Um, when your boss tells you to do something, what do you do? Okay. You do it. <laughs> yeah, you kind of do it. Yeah. You, you might be sitting there questioning him or whatever else here, but you do it. Um, this was Shelton's first crack at a managerial role in his life after, after a few failed attempts. He understood what he signed up for when he got here. He knew the first three, four years or whatever were going to be really, really tough, really dark in a couple of cases, and then the pandemic makes it 100 times worse. And he went along with everything, and he he did everything that Charrington and Travis Williams and and Bob Nutting told him to do. He did all these things. It's tough to get out of that mode. Okay, it's tough to he he, he has to turn off the spigot with all these okay. losses. Okay, I saw uh, three years now. I've seen him get mad after one loss, one loss. Do you remember this series? It was uh, in 2021 where they had a chance to sweep the Mets. On a Sunday at PNC oh. Park, right? Yeah, it was at home, and they hadn't swept anybody in like years, like not even in a two-game series. They went the okay. whole year without sweeping anyone. Yeah, right, right, right. Well, this yeah. was the Mets were in town. The Mets had like three quarters of the crowd at PNC Park. Yeah, and and they were this close, and they blew it at the end. And he comes into the press room like this and i'm going whoa that's so cool i didn't know you could do that impression you're you're doing an angry manager you know and that gave me some hope i think it was the same series as the i, say, I think right that one gave yeah. up that home run 
But that's all the more because the Stallings walk off was like, I mean, it was so emotional. You know, it was a pop fly that just barely touched the base of the left field foul pole, if I remember correctly. Yeah. So, yeah, like scrape the fence, basically. Can he get there? Yeah, he can get there. But you know what? They all can get there. That also starts from the top. Bob needs to be way more of that. Okay, that has to start with the owner. Um, Travis has to be more of that. Uh, that's a conversation that he and I had a, at a lunch, just just me and him and one other team employee at, um, over the winter, uh, because Travis, over when he was over with the Penguins, was a background figure. He didn't have to speak. He didn't have to be heard because you're here now, dude. You got to talk. They, people want to hear what you have to say. They don't want to hear you make an ass of yourself like Coonley did, but they want to, They want you to talk, you know? And, 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 and Shelton gets that. Shelton is aware of that. But Shelton's not Clint Hurdle. Clint, Clint showed up and had all of us eaten out of his palm. All of us. Remember the city? What was that line? But rebond, rebond the city. Oh my God, Clint! Really? You're gonna show up with a banner on your first day at work? You know that you you've got a, a hashtag or a meme with you? Rebond the city with its baseball team at your first press conference? Come on, man! Make it fair. Shelton understands, but he knows he's not that guy either. You know, so they don't have a lot of that. And that's one of the reasons that I think fans are so frustrated because they want to see, you know how that is. Team tough loss. You want to know that somebody else was upset about it, not just you. And that has to start with Bob, and it's not going to. Bob does not have that personality. Bob Nutting. Yeah. No matter what it is that you want to think of him, whether you assign the whole cartoon villain caricature to him, or whether you think he's a really, really good guy who just shouldn't be owning a baseball team or whatever it is, he doesn't have that gear. Yeah. No, I think I think you hit the nail on the head. Like as fans, you know, we watch the game and we get frustrated when we see things that that we don't like. And then it's you know, you you get mad when you get more mad than the people that it's actually happening to. You're like, why aren't these people as upset as I am right now? So I mean I just I just did a quick t- Twitter search. At least three times last year, I said, I don't understand how Derek Shelton hasn't gotten tossed by now. So I, I said that three times. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Well, the yeah, Reynolds one, there was no excuse. The Reynolds one was indefensible. Um, the other case where he got really humbled was when he left that uh, that lefty out there for an hour and a half to pitch against Milwaukee. Yeah. Camview. Camview. Yeah. Wow, no, man. I mean, you don't know if you guys know this, but he had to actually meet with the entire bullpen the next day to promise them he'd never do that again to them. Whether I heard you... he, like, sincerely felt bad. No, it was way worse than that. He he, he legitimately – I mean, I heard this from a member of his family. But he couldn't sleep. He literally showed up at the ballpark the next day. You guys ever gone through a night with no sleep and actually tried to function the next day? Yeah. It sucks. <laughs> Now try to do it managing a baseball game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Yeah. He lost sleep. He he felt like there was a part of his integrity that that he gave away that he was going to have to battle to get back now. Um, that's – and you know what? He Here's the thing, though. You know who else was mad? Uh, ben. Mm. I don't care if he's, if he's like your 20th guy down on your depth chart, which I think of you was – and he has no future with the organization or anything. And if you would have taken the ball and thrown all night, he would have he would have left his arm out on the mound mm. because he's pitching in the majors, which is the only thing he wants to do. 
you know, at whatever his age was, 28, 29 years old, something like that. Yeah. Um, that was a that was a harsh but powerful lesson for him. It really was. This is the part where we all just kind of look at each other when we're, we're going to talk about next. <laughs> well, <laughs> I know well, where Dardo was. You, that plays you real well on the audio version. <laughs> one one, uh, one thing real quick, because we were talking about veterans and you brought up Kutch and you brought up, uh, you know, he's not that guy to be vocal, but no. um, we, we, we haven't, when we've gone, we're 56 minutes in here and we really haven't talked about Andrew McCutcheon. Um, I guess just like, I mean, you know, probably more than than really anyone who's covering this team because you've, you've you've covered this team for so long. You know, you 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 born born and raised in Pittsburgh, like huge Pittsburgh guy. What does Andrew McCutcheon coming back to this team do for the club, the clubhouse, the fan base? Just, I mean, the city in general. I'll share with you a couple of things that I shared with. Um, it was a. I really shouldn't talk about this. Okay. Since I'm the one, to, I'll just tell you what my part of the conversation was. Right. I was talking with um, both Kutch and, and Bob, Bob Nutting. We were, the three of us were walking off the field together um, after the first full workout, just by coincidence. Okay. And I was telling in front of Kutch, I was telling Nutting the story about how when Kutch was 19 years old and got cut for the first time out of a big league camp he was pissed okay mm. and I, that's hilarious right i mean you, i've never seen this before or since okay like he actually thought he was going to make the team and 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 the two of them are laughing a little bit and and bob says something like well that's how that's how you know you know that somebody has a chance to be great because they're seeing themselves like that okay that's that's nothing said that and kutch turns around and goes I hit the hell out of the ball that spring. <laughs> yeah, you actually did, dude. Like, I haven't looked at the stats from that year or whatever, but he was actually, he was like a 350 or something, and he was just breaking. And he thought, this is easy. Just just put me in Pittsburgh. I'll hit the ball fine. Uh, he comes from very, very humble, very humble beginnings. Uh, his parents didn't have money in Fort Meade, Florida. Have you ever been to that part of Florida, guys? It ain't the coast. Drove through, yeah. Drive faster next time, <laughs> okay? It's not pretty. Um, and there's, there's nothing there. And for Kutch to come out of that scenario, to not have all these fancy, you know, Cape Cod League and this and that and whatever, Kutch excelled at Fort Meade High School. That's where, that's where he made his name. So he saw himself and his whole life in a different way. When he goes to the Pirates as an 18-year-old, he was giving himself to the Pirates. Okay, he saw that as a as a relationship. Now, multiply that a million times over because you fast forward to 2013, and either he or Michael McHenry, depending on which one of them is in a mood, came up with the blackout designation. Okay, we all credit Kutch for it, but Fort's in the background going, "Hey, hang on a second. But the blackout happens; it exceeds. Take this from somebody who's covered a lot of championships, Stanley Cups, Super Bowls, and everything else. It's still—I've never seen anything like it. Okay, there's nothing to compare to it. And how could there? Twenty years of losing. 
You know, you had fathers and grandfathers who were brought to the game who were in tears because they thought they'd never see the Pirates in this position again. You can't compare any. You, you know, Sid and Gino do this every five years. You know, it's not the same thing. Okay. And, and that's not hyperbole. Like, I, I was there. I've been to national championships. I've been to big, I've been nothing, to big sporting events. Nothing. I've never experienced anything like that game. Russell Ever. Martin told me in the locker room after that game, Russell Martin told me, I have never experienced anything like that in my life, not just in sports, in my life. Now, Russ had a pretty big hit. But yeah, he did. Kutch, Kutch uh, felt, not, with, not in any arrogant way, but he felt largely responsible for what had happened that night. He was the guy who came up. Remember, Nathan was traded. Nate McLeod was traded. The, to Atlanta, the Charlie Morton deal, and whatever else, uh, Jeff Locke, and somebody else. Gorkis Hernandez. Gorkis. Oh, Christ. <laughs> That's the second one of those in this episode. Yep. Uh, along with uh, who was the reliever? The, the, Dave Williams. Del Pozo. Uh, Miguel Del Pozo. You did it yeah, again. Miguel. And uh, Kutch felt like that, to use Clint's term, bonded him with the city permanently, you know? And he thought, and a lot of them did, in 2015, they were the best team in baseball. Uh, if it wasn't for the stupid format that they've now mercifully eliminated. By the way, by the one thing nobody ever talks about in the labor agreement that was the very best thing in the labor agreement was ditching the one-and-done format. The Pirates needed that in 2015. You know, their ace was never going to beat somebody else's ace. And they felt like they were the best team in baseball. You know, The same way the 94 Expos still talk about it. And Kutch never left. There's still a lot of people that don't know that. He never left the city. He and Maria kept open all their charities uh, here, were active, were here all through the offseason. Kutch would drive past the stadium. This part you heard. You heard him say. Uh, he lived, a lot of people don't know this, he lived right downtown. He lived in the same building where our headquarters and shop is now on, on Fifth Avenue. And he would ride a scooter, scooter, over um, – over the Clemente Bridge to games. That was his life. That was, you know, Maria did the shopping downtown and whatever else. And a uh, true funny story, but only for your imagery, when Kutch was traded, he gave the both the apartment and the scooter to Colin Moran, which allowed those of us who are downtown residents the immense joy of seeing Colin Moran riding a scooter through downtown to go to a ball game. Just the visual alone, okay. If you want to make a GIF out of it or something like that, just that, that can be your like transition sequence. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but he, he's pure Pittsburgh. Um, his relationships that he's formed with with Ben Roethlisberger, with Evgeny Malkin, uh, with other guys who played for the Steelers in the past. He, he, he's more tied to the Steelers than he is to the Penguins, but he's very much aware because that was the first thing he asked me when he saw me down there this week. He goes, "What the hell." <laughs> and I knew he was talking about hockey. Um, he's he's just pure Pittsburgh, and and I mean that in terms of his spirit uh, as well. And that's the reason. And can I say something here? You yeah. can say whatever you want. Okay, um, I've never said this out loud before, but in our city, we have embraced this young African American individual in a way that this city hasn't always done, okay? Take a pause for a second and think about that because you guys are baseball fans and you might not process it the same way because you love Kutch because you love Kutch. 
but Kutch crossed every line in this city. Uh, he did it in a time where it was obviously going to be easier than it was for Roberto Clemente, who I think a lot of people don't still don't think of as, as having been black. Kutch broke every barrier. We're not that far removed as a city from having uh, basically chased Cordell Stewart out of town, you know, and picking on uh, Starling Marte and Gregory Polanco because they're dumb, because they're Dominicans. Yeah. Okay? Not yeah. that that doesn't also happen on some of the broadcasts, but we'll keep mm-hmm. that here between us. You can't, you, it, Kutch blows through all of it. Kutch just transcends the whole thing. And I have no doubt in my mind that he was aware of all of that. And yet, at the same time, to finally shut up on this subject, I have, I have no doubt that he's also been surprised by this reaction. He hasn't been around for a while. You know, um, he's already been on how many teams? San Francisco, New York, Philadelphia. Four. Right. I mean, he's won a lot of other unis and for him to come back after all this time and be accepted like this and have those lines that were down there at PNC Park. He didn't see that coming. Really? I think Maria did. He didn't. He didn't. And uh, it's beautiful to have him back. I mean, it it really is. I'm not telling you anything. I didn't just tell him the other day. It, it's something. And I told him that last April in Milwaukee. I went over to see him at the Brewers Clubhouse. I, I, I looked at. I, I did this every year with him. Actually, I just look at him and I go, "My God, you look ridiculous in that thing." <laughs> whatever he was wearing, you know, whatever it happened, I said, "You look, you look ridiculous in that thing." And he would pretend he didn't hear me. And I think the other part of that is, it feels great to have somebody of Kutch's caliber that wants to be here. You saw part of that when AJ came back, but this is a different level. He's had his posters and stuff in that little room where they play video games, the prospects and stuff. They didn't just put those up. They've been there all along. The cover, the 2013 cover of Sports Illustrated, Kutch slide into home plate at PNC mm-hmm. Park. Mm-hmm. Um, there were, uh, I actually told Kutch about this because I knew he wouldn't notice it. But as he was coming out, he was com- him and Reynolds got done hitting the far cage pirate city and he's him and reynolds are like side by side there's this narrow fence path that you have to pass through and tamar johnson the the number four overall pick uh and some other kid i had no idea who he was are walking in the same direction so they're going like this these two kids froze and backed up like this to, to part like like moses for the red sea so that the king could pass through and I told him about that later, and he goes, you know what? That used to be me. <laughs> um, yeah, it's different. It's different. I don't know who he would have froze the watch walk by, but I believe <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, in 2008. Yeah. Oh, for him? Actually, back then, it would have been the elders. And ever since COVID, this is most unfortunate, but none of those, none of those guys have been oh. back to spring training. It sucks without them. I think Maz is going to come down. Maz is going to come down later. Teeks obviously got the heart issue. Uh, you'll see Steve Blass down later. Uh, Manny. Manny is usually there this part of camp. Manny's knees have got just gradually gotten worse. Um, 
knees can get treatment now that they couldn't when Manny was catching 100 games a year. Um, but those guys, they're such a big part of the spring training scene, and to, to not have them around ever since COVID has been tough. But they do come down for the uh, – you'll see them over at – I still call it McKechnie um, – Leecom Park. Leecom, yeah. yeah. You'll see them around, and uh, that's when you see Kutch get out of their way. Believe me. Yeah, no, I was I was actually listening to your daily shot the other day, and you were you were talking about that where I think it was I think you were just you just arrived in Bradenton, and you were talking about how you know just spring training is just something about it. You know, you, you get the legends who come down, and and you talked about you know there's there's less and less legends who are still around. Mm-hmm. That kind of that number is shrinking every, well, every single year. It seems we, like we're putting some distance. Yeah, you know. <laughs> right, like Kutch is oh. that next legend. He's still on the team now. <laughs> it's, right. yeah, it's no yeah. longer, you know, Maz is Maz is is one of the few we still have left from sixty. Um, you know, and then you start getting into seventy one, seventy nine is starting to thin out, and I mean, you know, we're the next conversation you start having is about ninety two in the last division title. Um, Tony Watson, who I referenced earlier in this show, once told me this: this will crush your souls. Tony Watson said, all we wanted as a group, this was the 2013 to 15 group. He goes, I spent my whole career with this, this team, this organization. All we wanted was to put a flag out there. We wanted one flag that was our own. You know, out where they keep the, and because of the effing Cardinals, you know, mm-hmm. couldn't do it. And all we wanted was one. And they could have gotten it in a bunch of different ways. They could have gotten an NL pennant. They could have won the World Series. I mean, it's kind of crazy. Not the show for in, yeah. in the entire existence of the National League Central Division, the Pirates have oh, never won it. Wait, never- I, got, I got a better one. Have you ever heard this one? Uh, oh, what was the last year? Okay, somebody's got to look this up. Look up the last time the Pirates finished ahead of the Cardinals in the standings. Yeah, I think it was 97. It was, because it was Astros. Pirates was freak show year. Astros, Pirates, and then whoever, right? But it was ahead of the Cardinals. Every year, every freaking year since then, the Cardinals have finished ahead of the Pirates. There might not be a cooler stat in all of sports. I mean, for St. Louis. Yeah, right? not, not for us. Not sure. Yeah. That's 26 years. 26 years now of not being better than the Cardinals. It's about That's, to be 27. So. It is a testament. <laughs> I, think I think it is a testament. The Cardinals, first off, were an extremely – well-run organization um you know top three in baseball but the fact that the, the whole pirates you don't have them as number one i think the dodgers are up there too like you could where's the dodgers i mean they, they do let's, let's just say this this is the dodgers yeah, plan I, I get that with regardless the when you're stealing people's data you're you're tainted a little bit but like the dodgers also do it with homegrown talent like you look at Dodgers rookie of the years. Dodgers have how, how many rookies of the year? Like I mean, they get to it's keep like them. All they get over to the keep place. them. It's a they system. They get to they keep do. them. Yeah, but they they do well in the minors. There's no question yeah. about that. But again, they also have resources there that others don't. So they can trade no Neil Cruz or a Tony Watson and not blink. Uh, I'll bet you they're going to be blinking real freaking yeah. soon on that count. Well, <laughs> who else <laughs> they trade that? Are they? I mean, yeah, <laughs> I mean, maybe not. They don't. They don't need them. Uh, everyone would take him. Everyone would take him. 
They, I mean, that was actually same year was I think they traded Cruz and Jordan Alvarez in the same. That's what I was going to say. They, they traded the same year. Right. Yeah. They're still not blinking. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Donardo, I know you got questions. I mean, I love memory lane right here. I do um, as well. I feel like this could be a four-hour podcast. Easy. It won't be. I got. I still got to do a whole bunch, and I got to write for no. the insider. You talk I about not sleeping and going to work the next game. day, so you can do it tomorrow. Tomorrow, too. the Penguins are going <laughs> to lose to Edmonton, and I got to write this super deep, intense column about it and, and everything else, and you guys are going to keep me up all night. Well, let's let's go down the path of wrapping it up. Um, but no, I do no, no, wanna... no, no, not down the path. We're, we're, we're down the path. Let's let's come yeah, up. We're going to get down the path. We're going to make the turn now. We got one about real 30 good minutes. Go ahead. No. So let's talk. Okay. Get back to spring. We haven't even talked like the big news yet. So let's, let's get on it. So Brian Reynolds, what's the latest we're hearing about Brian Reynolds? Um, and what's going on with this relationship? I, I asked this too, because Hey, nothing is there. Is there any rekindling? Is there any potential of anything happening between the two parties? What are you hearing from him? Well, I, I talked with Brian um, at length twice. I talked with Bob Nutting about this. I talked with Travis Williams about this. And two of those three were off the record, so I will keep them there. But I can tell you this. All three of them want exactly the same thing. And as I said back to all three of them, never, ever once have I covered a situation in any sport where the player and the team wanted the same thing and didn't achieve it. It, it ends up getting settled. If you guys want to splice through the math of the two different offers and get into AAV and see that it's a $3 million difference on AAV, which is nothing, nothing. And you know that the Pirates made only their first offer and you know that Reynolds' weirdo agents at CAA have this bizarre thing that they do where they hear one offer and go, ah, screw you, we're done. And then they say they want to trade and then they go and they leak it out to the public that's unprofessional. That's garbage behavior. They know it. The Pirates know it. I'll bet a part of me believes that Reynolds knows it. Okay? And Reynolds comes into camp and says, and he repeated it to me later, this is, this is where I want to be. This is where I want to sign. And I, I was telling everybody that all winter long. Because this is a conversation that's come up a lot between me and him over the years. He really, really, really likes being with the Pirates. He's actually been criticized for this by some people who are close to him, and he feels that strongly about it that he tells them where they can stick their opinions on this. Okay? He sees himself as a Pirate. And he wants that. They want that. And if I can convince you guys of anything what would be the one factor that would convince you the most that the pirates would want it? What would be the, be cynical here, be Joe Blow fan. What would be the one thing that you would think would convince Bob Nutting to go ahead and sign Brian Reynolds? It's that there'd be money in it for him. Guess what? There is. Because what ended up happening here this winter is that Kutch rekindled this amazing stuff we were just talking about 
uh, sentiment. All of a sudden, everybody who's ready to burn the stadium down is like, all right, um, I hate nutting. I hate everything. I hate my life. And I'm still going to go to see one game just so I can cheer Kutch. <laughs> okay. Right. And from there, that's kind of gradually morphed into, hey, who's this O'Neill Cruz guy they have? What's that all about? And you start going, I'm going to start getting into the Pirates again a little bit. We've heard a lot of this. And remember that we deal at our company, we deal with all three teams in the colleges and everything. So we're going to hear more from the casual fans than you guys will. You guys, your people are, are like, you know, debating who the 78th prospect is on the rankings list, right? Right. And they like to be bored. That's <laughs> That's <all I've> heard. <laughs> but uh, you don't have this situation and then have it all just crumble. Remember that the agents, everybody at CAA, no matter how important or egotistical they happen to be in their own little world, they answer to one person in this scenario, and that's Reynolds. And if Reynolds tells them, get me the deal that I want, but get it here. And if you're Bob and Travis and you have all kinds of potential pluses that come from signing Reynolds, okay, such as, you know, filling the stadium up, uh, winning. Uh, what does that mean? You can't blame fans for thinking like that. What was I blaming fans for? I don't get that. Oh, for, for just being negative. Over oh, that. hell no. <laughs> Listen to what we were just talking about here, man. It's been 40 years. No, never, okay? Yeah. But for the fans to flip like this, and I'm sure you guys have sensed the same thing, right? To a degree, yeah. I did it. I flipped. Get out of here. <laughs> no, I think we have seen the apathetic fans kind of lean back into the Yeah, they're, lean, they're They're like, hey, what is this? Right. That, that's actually that's the part that's been more interesting to me than someone who says, I love Koch. I'm going to go see Koch. It's the ones that have been – it's the ones who have said, okay, what about the rest of this? As long as I'm looking – Tell me a little bit more about this this baseball team. What else you got? Oh, I mean, they, they might actually be okay this year. And then the conversation gets a little bit better, you know, because they actually think Kutch is going to be way better than what he's going to be. Yeah. Okay. okay. You've that, okay. You've gotten yeah. that right. Okay. That's so, also kind of what I'm worried about too. Yeah, but Kutch, but Kutch is going to bring them. Kutch is going to bring the money, and and to close out the Reynolds thing here, he will allow. That's what everybody's waiting for, right? Show us the dot, 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 okay? Well, once that happens, what are you waiting on? What are you waiting on as a fan? I mean, I'd like to see payroll at $100 but I'm also not going to pay, you know, I'm not going to pay Andy Rodriguez $7 million just out of the goodness of my heart when I have him for three years at bare minimum. But that's fine. You don't have to. Right. Just start from day one and let him earn the opportunity to make (laughs) his bonus by getting top two rookie of the year. That's the next thing. So to answer your question, and I'm just going to start, I guess I'm carrying this right now, jumping in here. To answer your question, that makes sense. Like what's left this year? Sign Brian Reynolds. And after that, like you're saying, what's left? Really not much. Extended the next part would be start Indy on opening day. Like yeah. let your guys, throw them a bone. Give them an opportunity to say, go show us you can do something. Here's your opportunity to make more money. Get you know rookie of the year top voting and, and do that like show some confidence in your players. I'm sorry, that's like a big stickler with me. That's what I just can't get over this regime either. We saw it with Cruz last year. Like, why can't you show some confidence in your people 
and your players and say, go do it. Because worst, if Andy doesn't stick, if Andy doesn't you know perform out of May. Yeah, you pull a jack and go back down. Then I'm back no down. Big no big deal. No loss. But you have an opportunity to get a draft pick. You have an opportunity to let your player get some more money in his pocket. I don't know. That's the next thing for me. But you well, make a good point. There's not a whole lot left. The next thing for me is to go start writing my Friday Insider here, which actually <laughs> oh, is going to have a lot of good stuff in it. Yeah. Uh, I don't say that every week either. There's just a lot of stuff. This one. Not just not the baseball stuff. Baseball stuff. All kinds of stuff. Nice. A big football one, actually. Ooh, it's about okay. uh, old Jerry O. That'd be, yeah. that'd be big. We're not getting that far. Inside linebackers coach. No, this is <laughs> this is bigger than that. So, wow. hey guys, listen, this was actually really cool. It was. Thanks for coming yeah. on. No, no, yeah, thank you for having me. I hope I wake up to you saying that Matt Canada got fired tomorrow. Yeah, he ain't going. <laughs> he's he's going. He's he'll he'll be staying as long as Andy Haynes is. Oh boy. Yeah. So. Yeah, they ended on that note, didn't you? Wah wah. <laughs> Get out of here now. All right, we're done. <laughs> Hey, thanks for coming on. All right, guys. Appreciate it. For everyone, thanks for watching. We'll see you guys later. Bye-bye. Peace out. See you guys.